Ah, great way to start Christmas Eve. Uh, I want to welcome you here. My name's Matt, and uh, thanks so much for coming to gather with us this Christmas Eve. If you're tuning in online, thanks for, for tuning in. Uh, it's our joy and our sort of purpose to really celebrate, uh, because we have much to celebrate. Uh, Christmas is a time when there are lots of things going on, lots of great things uh, in, our, in our lives and family, uh, reasons to uh, come together and to enjoy the season, but uh, our real goal is to remember uh, the meaning of the season. And so I really thank uh, our band, thank the readers who have kind of taken us through the story of Christmas. We've heard the main events uh, that are there, the Mary and Joseph, the trip to Bethlehem, the virgin birth, the angels proclaiming in the sky, glory to God in the highest. All of these things are reason for tradition, all these things uh, give rise to carols and, and songs, uh, but really they're significant because of what they point to in terms of a deeper meaning, in terms of humanity, in terms of God himself. That's really what Christmas is about. It's an opportunity for us to remember and reflect on the nature of God and the nature of who we are as human beings. So we're going to take a little bit of time to do that. Uh, I want to begin by looking at just a, a few verses from what the readers already read. This is in the book of Matthew. Uh, this is when the angel is talking to Joseph, and uh, he says this about Mary. He says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a couple of massive ideas that we have here already. One of them is that uh, as human beings, we need saving. That's the implication here. Uh, but also we see that Jesus isn't just from God. He is God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. But with these truths come some other questions, like what kind of help do we need and how exactly does Jesus help us? The answer to those questions actually is not found fully in the Christmas story. For that, we need to kind of pull back and widen our view a little bit. See, the Christmas story is part of a larger story, uh, the biblical story, and in it we find the answers to these questions. Uh, we're going to look to uh, a part of Jesus' ministry, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the, the books in the Bible where we find the life and ministry of Jesus, and in them we find a ton of answers that we need as human beings about who we are, about who God is. But since it's Christmas, uh, I thought we would focus in on uh, a story that has to do with food, because I don't know about you, but food is integral to my Christmas joy. Um, here, here. I got it already. Here, here from, from Phil. Uh, I, I'm not a huge eater, but I would say I'm a very intentional eater, a very focused, like calculating eater. My goal for any you know, big meal around Christmas time is to be perfectly full by the end of that meal. And by perfectly full, what I mean is that I've consumed every part of the meal, except the turnips and the Brussels sprouts, but everything else, unless the Brussels sprouts are done in maple syrup and bacon, if you had that, that is worth eating. I mean, they're all worth eating, they're healthy. I digress. But my point is that I try to eat everything on the table and then make sure that I have room for dessert. I have no patience or understanding for people who get to dessert and don't have room for dessert, or who don't have room for dessert and then eat dessert anyway, and then for the rest of the evening, you look at them and they're in pain. You know what I'm saying? They're like this, and they're looking at you across the table looking for sympathy, I'm going to tell you, I have no sympathy for you. I will say out loud, Great Aunt Susan, you've been alive for seven years, figure it out, okay? You should know how to eat a Christmas meal 
by now. I don't say that exactly, but that's going on in my heart because fullness is, is important. Fullness is a feeling that we all crave. In fact, that's the kind of theme that I want to take a little bit of time to talk about. Fullness, the, the importance for us as human beings of being full, not just, not just at a Christmas meal, but in our lives. Satisfied, joyful, full. In fact, I want to say it this way. It's the beginning of kind of a, a big idea for this message. We as human beings, we all long to be full. We all long to be full. And this story in uh, the ministry of Jesus comes from John chapter 6. This is a story about a longing for fullness. In fact, really, it's a, it's a story about the emptiness that human beings feel and then the fullness that Jesus brings. So uh, this takes place, as I said, in John chapter 6. Uh, it's about a group of people who are very hungry. Uh, they've been listening to Jesus teach all afternoon. It's getting late. It's dinner time. They're out kind of in the middle of nowhere near the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples uh, say to Jesus, you know, we should probably let, we should dismiss people. They need to go and find something to eat. But Jesus has other ideas. Uh, he asks what food they have, and they have two fish, they have five loaves of bread, and maybe you know what he, he does. Here's what it is in, in John 6, verse 11. It says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So this... This is a good meal, a miraculous meal. I mean, they had all this, just a tiny bit of food, and now thousands of people, the Bible says over 5,000 people have eaten at this meal, and there are leftovers, always a sign of a feast. This is miraculous and, and wonderful, but you know, it's not until the next day that we really start to gain some insight into the true fullness that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. During the night, uh, Jesus and his disciples had left the area. They moved on, they went across the lake. So the people, the crowd of people, they wake up in the morning and they realize that Jesus is gone and they go looking for him. Here's verse 24. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, uh, when did you come here? Now you would think at this point that Jesus would be uh, happy. I mean, these people have crossed a lake to find him. They're showing a, a certain level of devotion and commitment. And what spiritual teacher wouldn't want a group of people following them around all the time? But the response that Jesus gives is, is not very enthusiastic. In fact, it's rather critical. Here's verse 26. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you were seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. See, his words cut through their motivations. He's saying, look, you're not here because you're following your heart. You're here because you're following your stomach. Which, which doesn't seem that insightful, actually. I mean, it's morning. They woke up. We're all hungry in the morning. They woke up in the middle of nowhere, and they looked around. They didn't have any food, and they knew that Jesus had provided food the day before, so they went looking for their source of food. In fact, you might ask, why is Jesus giving these people such a hard time? I mean, anyone would be hungry at that time of the day. Why doesn't he just whip up some fish sandwiches and give everyone a nice, a nice breakfast feast? Well, here's, here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus is always working on multiple levels of significance. When people come to hear him teach or, or experience miracles from Jesus, 
they were naturally drawn to the immediate and practical help that he would bring. When people were hungry, Jesus gave them food to eat. When people were sick, Jesus healed them. When they were in distress, he comforted them. But in all of those things, Jesus knew that he was only scratching the surface of their needs. His goal was to push people to think more deeply about their problems as human beings. That's really what he wants for all of us, for us to recognize our deep need for God more fully. And so in this little interaction with these people, I think we have three insights into why we as human beings struggle with fullness. Why it is that we struggle to be satisfied. So we'll look at each one in turn. Here's, here's the first one. The reason we struggle, struggle with a sense of fullness is that our hunger is deeper than we think. Our hunger is deeper than we think. Now again, uh, the people were focused on their bellies. And of course, Jesus could have filled their bellies in a moment. But to what end? I mean, it was breakfast then, but then it would have been lunch, and then dinner, and then a midnight snack. And Jesus did not come into the world to be like a drive through for the people of the world. Whenever we're hungry, we just go find him for some food. Now listen, he doesn't want to be a drive through window of food, not because he doesn't want us to be full, but because he understood that physical hunger is just a small part of our desire for satisfaction. That the real fullness that we seek is it's much deeper. In fact, we have a, a deep hunger in our soul. Now this is something that's maybe difficult to see at first, but once you, once you realize it, as you look around, you'll see it all over our culture. So here's one example uh, that I came across recently. Uh, I like to listen to podcasts, and uh, there's a podcast I've been listening to called How I Built This. It's an NPR podcast. Uh, the host interviews people who, um, they're usually entrepreneurs, business people. They've built up something, some business, some product, some idea. And the focus of the podcast obviously is on the how, how I built this. So a lot of questions about logistics, about financing, about marketing. But along the way, uh, they also get into the why. And he often asks the question, like, why did you do this thing? Why did you devote so much of your life towards this idea? Why did you sacrifice so much, work such hard, long hours to see this thing come to fruition? The why is always there. And I've, I'm interested to note that the answer to the why question is a lot less about money than I would think. I mean, certainly everyone wants their, their business to be successful. But a lot of the people there, they, they speak about other deeper needs, other motivations. And there are many people who start businesses who already have a lot of money. Uh, the one that I listened to recently was uh, about a guy named Rich Barton. Uh, Rich Barton was working at Microsoft when he had the idea for an online travel agency. And so he pitched the idea to Bill Gates and they started Expedia, which in 1996, early days of the internet, was just revolutionary. You could go online and book your own tickets. I mean, it just took off like wildfire. It's been growing ever since. We probably, I have the Expedia app on my phone. Uh, in 2003, Expedia sold for $3.6 billion. So this idea went very well. And Rich Barton was very wealthy. And for about a year, he said he kind of enjoyed life, took some time off. But then after a year, he went back to work. He had a new idea. He wanted to do the same thing, but with real estate. And so we started this company called Zillow, which you might have heard of, which isn't doing quite as well as Expedia. Uh, but the question that the interviewer had was, why, why even do something new? 
I mean, you had enough money to be comfortable for the rest of your life. You could go, you could engage in all sorts of other pursuits. Why would you, why would you do the hard work of starting a new company? And the answer, quite obviously, was he wasn't satisfied. He wasn't full. He, he couldn't just sit back and kind of enjoy life. There was something in him that had to, to go and do something else. Now, look, that's not a, that's not a bad thing. Creative Ideas are good. Entrepreneurial enthusiasm is good. There's lots of good things. In fact, Jesus, when he's speaking to these people, he's not saying food is bad. Food is good. Jesus is just saying, look, have you thought about how deep that hunger of yours actually goes? Like, have you thought about what happens when you actually get everything that you think you need and then you still aren't full? See, the words of Jesus, they, they, they cut through to the heart of the issue for us as human beings. Let's look back at verse 26. He said to them, you're seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. Think about what he's saying there to this group of people. He's saying, last night, when you were laying on the ground, looking up at the stars next to the Sea of Galilee, you were full. You were content. Everything was right with the world. But then you woke up this morning and you were empty again. He's saying, can you see that your entire lives are dominated by hunger? And not just hunger for food, hunger for love, hunger for achievement, hunger for success, hunger for meaning, hunger for security, hunger for pleasure. These are the things that occupy our minds and our hearts as human beings. And, and sure, sometimes we feel full, but the hunger always returns, doesn't it? No matter how well something goes in our lives, there's always a moment where we, we feel dissatisfied again. So why is that? Why is it that as human beings, we struggle to really feel full in a lasting way? Well, the next insight that Jesus gives uh, helps to shed light on this challenge of ours. Here's what he says in verse 27. He says to the people standing in front of him, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. So here's the second thing, the second problem, the reason we struggle with fullness. The food of the world doesn't satisfy. The food of the world doesn't satisfy. Uh, that's part of our fullness problem. He's, he's got a contrast here between two different kinds of food. And this is, this is true of literal food. I mean, there's a big difference between eating like a like a Denver omelet in the morning and eating like a bowl of Lucky Charms, right? The omelet, peppers, mushrooms, is there meat in there? I can't remember. Anyway, you eat that, you're going to be full till the afternoon, maybe till dinner, but Lucky Charms, I mean, it tastes fantastic, like bizarrely fantastic, but you'll be empty before you walk out the door. There's, there's different kinds of food, but what Jesus is saying is, look, no matter how filling the food that you're putting in your belly seems, you're always going to be empty eventually. And that's true of everything in the world, all the things in our lives. No matter how great they are, no matter how much of them we have, at some point in the future, we are going to feel empty. The, the fullness will be gone. Uh, there's, a, there's a fascinating book uh, that I came across recently. My wife uh, picked it up. And uh, it explores the relationship and interaction between the people of the world and the things of the world. Uh, the book is called Material World. Uh, it was a project by a photojournalist named uh, Peter Menzel. In 1994, he chose 30 nations in the world 
and then got photojournalists from around the world and they would go to that nation and they would find an average family and they would spend a week with that family. They would take notes, they would take pictures and then what they would do is they would take a picture of that family with all of the possessions that they own in the world uh, out in front of their house. So here's the cover of the book. You can see two examples of the pictures. Up there is from Texas, the Skeen family, and then the Namge family in Bhutan, which is uh, in Asia. And, and you can see the difference. That's part of the point of the book, that there are these vast discrepancies in wealth and possessions all around the world. And as you read through the book, it tells you a bit about the family, but it also tells you about the nation. They go into statistics like um, infant mortality rates, access to health care, um, uh, income per capita. You see the discrepancy. For example, in Haiti, the uh, per capita income, so all the people or all the money that is earned divided by all the people, in Haiti it's $374 per person per year. In Texas, it jumps up to $22,000 per year. Uh, all the women and children, just the money that's made. Just, just vast discrepancies in terms of wealth in the world. And they sort of track this out. But here's one of the stats that they didn't show. They didn't, they didn't show the contentment statistic or the happiness quotient for these people. They weren't able to, to correlate, you know, how much you had with how happy you were. Now, there were certainly families that were in areas of the world where there were, there were real hardships. I mean, they, they profiled a family in Bosnia in 1994 where the siege was going on. Just heartbreaking to see the, the, the difficulties there or in Mali with the, the, the lack of food. I mean, there are real hardships when you don't have enough. But just because you had more doesn't mean you were happier. In fact, I think we know that there are some genuinely uh, content people who have very little to their name. And yet there are some very discontented people that have all the money in the world. And yet the point that Jesus is making is none of that actually helps us in the end. Uh, there was a very wealthy guy. Uh, you will recognize his name, J.D. Rockefeller. At the turn of the century, uh, one of the wealthiest individuals on the planet. He had billions of dollars when not many people in the world, even countries in the world, had billions of dollars. Uh, he owned planes and trains and boats, just a, a vast array of, of wealth. Uh, when he died... In 1937, a reporter asked one of his staff, uh, how much money did Mr. Rockefeller leave behind? And, and the staff member quite insightfully said, well, he left all of it behind. He left it all behind. And that's what Jesus is pointing the people to. The fact that the food that we seek out in our lives, the things in our lives, they will always disappoint us in the end. And very often along the way, we will be disappointed as well. I mean, I think we know this to be true. That either we are disappointed that we don't have enough, or we have enough and we want more, or we have more than enough and we leave it all behind for our children to spend, and they'll spend it very quickly. Either way, fullness eludes us as human beings. And part of the question we should be asking ourselves, well, if we can see that to be true, why do we spend so much energy and effort on the things of this world? Like, what is it about us that we seek after these things and think that they will make us full? Well, here's the third, the third insight in terms of us as human beings. Our appetites are corrupt. Our appetites are corrupt. This, this actually, I think, is the deepest issue when it comes to our contentment. This is the reason that we, that we never feel full. It's, it's not just uh, that our hunger is deeper than we think. 
It's not just the things of the world don't satisfy us. Our biggest problem is that we have a taste for things that leave us feeling empty. I was reminded of this uh, by another episode from that podcast, How I Built This. Uh, This time it was uh, interviewing a guy named Steve Madden, not Madden the football player. This is Steve Madden the shoe guy, right? Steve Madden Shoes, big shoe company. Uh, Steve Madden began selling shoes out of the trunk of his car in 1990. Uh, he, he made shoes, he sold shoes, and within a few years, he had built up this, this pretty big company. He had a factory in New York. Uh, he had a bunch of people making his shoe designs. He was selling to all the big department stores. He had some retail outlets. Um, he had revenue in the tens of millions of dollars. Things were going very well for Steve Madden. But... Along the way, he had gotten connected with a group of uh, stock traders that were, uh, well, they were shady, let's say it that way. They had helped to raise money for his company, and uh, after that, they, they started giving him opportunities for business deals. Uh, they would sell him a bunch of stock for a company, they'd pump up the price of the stock, then he'd sell it, make a whole bunch of money. It was very, very lucrative, it was very illegal. Before long, they got investigated and they got caught, and Steve Madden went to jail. Uh, Here's the thing that interested me, though, in the interview. The interviewer was asking him, Steve, why why did you even bother with these stock trades? He said, you're a creative guy. You had a creative business. You had an an outlet, a creative outlet. You were making good money. Why would you bother going and making these weird stock deals? I mean, what's the point? Why, Why did you do that? Weren't you fulfilled just in making your shoes? And Steve Ben took a deep breath, and and here's how he answered. I'll put it up on, on the screen so you can see. He said this, I was raised to think that money was everything. Money is the center of the universe, and if that's what your core belief is, you'll do anything, and you'll break the law. He said, I wish I hadn't done it. But more than that, I wish I hadn't felt compelled to do it. I wish I didn't have that feeling that money was everything, because it's not. It's not everything. When I heard that, I thought there's some real insight there into us as human beings, isn't there? See, the interesting thing for me wasn't that he just was sorry uh, that he had done the stock trades or that he had gotten caught. His real frustration was the compulsion within him to love money so much, so much that he would risk everything, everything in his life. And I thought to myself, you know, that, that sounds pretty familiar for me, that there are things in this life that, that I love dearly, too dearly. I mean, not many of us are tempted by multi-million dollar crooked business deals, but we are compelled by a love for the things of this world. And here's the thing, we aren't just deceived by the things themselves. It's not, we can't blame it all on marketing and advertising. We are deceived by our own heart. There's a corruption deep within our souls that leads us to want things that will never satisfy us. We become fixated on earthly things in ways that are unhealthy and destructive. And the Bible has a word for this. Uh, The Bible calls it sin. At its root, sin is the rejection of God and the acceptance of everything that the world has to offer. It means going our way instead of God's way. And sin is the ultimate blight on humanity. It is the problem. It it makes us vulnerable to, to sickness, to disaster, to death, and even hell itself. If you think about it, every every argument every broken marriage, every shattered friendship, every misplaced hope, it's all the result of sin. 
Sin is, is the reason that we are never full. Not just because the world doesn't satisfy us, but because we are consumed with desires for those things rather than for God himself. That, that's, that's the essential problem for us as human beings. And if you remember what it said in that text in Matthew, it said Jesus came to save us from our sin. See, the wonderful thing about the Christmas story is that it gets to the very heart of who we are as human beings. That, that it's the answer to the problem that's been plaguing humanity since the Garden of Eden. That though we, we work hard, though we strive, though we engage even in a lot of good things, at the end of the day, we are not satisfied. We are left empty. And we do it to ourselves. But the good news, I mean, the, the great news about the story of Christmas is that God didn't leave us alone in our emptiness. He didn't, he didn't leave us alone in our lostness, in our sin. He had mercy and compassion on us, even though we've turned our backs on him. He sent Jesus to deal with sin once and for all and to fill us finally and fully with his spirit. See, the wonderful thing about the Christmas story is the way it, it ties into the rest of the, the biblical story and the hope that it brings, the fullness that it brings. For example, the birth of Jesus what that tells us is that God really does love us. That even though we turned our backs on him, he didn't, he didn't stay distant from us, but he entered into the world. He sent his son to not only be born as a human being, but then to live as a human being. To live a life of fullness that we can't live because of our, the corruption in our heart. But Jesus was perfect and righteous. He never relied on the things of this world. He lived fully hoping in God. And in doing that, he earned the righteousness that we can never earn on our own. He lived a full and perfect life. And in spite of that, then he went to the cross. Through his ministry, he demonstrated he really was from God and was God. All the miracles awakened people to the idea, look, the kingdom of God is here. It is possible for us to have hope in the midst of our trials and difficulties. And then when he went to the cross, people were so confused. Just like the, the people there before him, they're, they're confused. Why don't you just... Give us some food. We're hungry. And Jesus says, you don't actually know how hungry you are. And by going to the cross, he, he dealt with the essential problem, the thing keeping us from being full. He died a sacrificial death. A death where he took all the sin, all the penalty upon himself. And in doing that, he, he made a way for us to have peace with God, forgiveness that would be ours because of his grace. And then when he rose from the dead three days later, that, that was really the, the hope, the beacon of hope and fullness because in that life then, there was the hope for us of life eternal. But not just a long life, a full life, an abundant life. See, this is the ultimate truth that Jesus was trying to help the people see in John chapter six, that there is a source of nourishment that will endure forever, but it doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. Look back in verse 27 again. He's speaking to the people. He says, he says to them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man, that's Jesus, will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Now you can imagine the people kind of looking at each other saying, that, that sounds great, but how, do we, how exactly do we get this kind of food? Verse 28, then they said to him, what must we do? to be doing the works of God. And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. He's saying essentially, 
You don't have to work for this food, for this fullness, for this satisfaction. You need only believe. And that's the same for us to this day. That God's appeal to us, the hope of the Christmas story, is not that we need to, to work, that we need to, to fix our lives up, to, to make things right, and then God will accept us, then he will fill us. He fills us in our sin, in our emptiness, because Jesus, Jesus has wiped us clean. When we say we believe, we're basically saying, look, I believe that this is true about me. I believe that my whole life is an exercise in emptiness unless I have the help of God. And I believe that I need the forgiveness of God and that Jesus, in going to the cross, he dealt with my sin problem once and for all. The promise of the Christmas story is a promise of a full life. Not a life of ease, mind you. Hear me clearly. Not a life of ease, but a life of fullness and joy. And so here's the, here's the complete uh, statement for us this Christmas Eve. We all long to be full, but only Jesus truly satisfies. Only Jesus truly satisfies. And in a moment, we're going to sing a final song. The song is O Holy Night, and I just want to read you the first verse. Because in it, we have these same themes of, of joy and, and fullness and, and the amazing wonder of, of the babe born in the manger. So here's the first verse. O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. This is the essence of the joy of the Christmas story, that our soul would feel the worth of Jesus, our Savior, that we would be filled in him and not need to look to the things of this world. Now, we can give gifts. We can give presents. We have a lot of them here on the stage, but I'm hoping as you go home, you're able to enjoy a feast, enjoy the presents. But the, the great thing about the true understanding of the Christmas story is we then do those things, we're already full. We're not doing them to become full. We have a fullness in him. The weariness of the world is answered by the grace and mercy of Jesus. Our hope is that you experience that hope and joy this Christmas. And so I'm going to pray to that end, and then we're going to sing. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that you came. Thank you that you loved us enough, even in our sin, to come, to be born as a child, to live a perfect life, and then go to the cross on our behalf. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would indeed be filled by that truth. And Lord, that there would be a peace within us because of your power, because of your grace. Lord, I do pray that we would experience a, a joyful Christmas. But Lord, I pray that it would be rooted in you. And so Lord, for those who don't yet have faith in you, I pray that you would move in their hearts to bring them to the, to the point of seeing their need. And Lord, for those of us who already believe, Lord, I pray that we would not grab on to the things of this world anymore. Lord, that we would let them go and we would grab on fully to you rejoicing in all that you've given us, both in your birth and in the cross and in your resurrection. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.